Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening on Dying Light listeners. I am your host, Pastor Alex, and we are uh, back at it once again with another fresh episode for you as we continue our current streak. I've lost count, but we have produced at least two good years of content uh, in a row on Fridays, and so that puts us, you know, about 100 or so episodes, and then I think this dates all the way back to the middle of 2020, uh, right when the show had split and I had taken over. Uh, So I had picked up the rings and just kept carrying on, and we are continuing to deliver you episodes every week. And uh, as we refine and hone in and tweak all of our production skills, if you would, and So we're uh, trekking along. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew for the last uh, little, probably a couple months now because we're still just working through the sixth chapter and we've taken this um, fairly slow. Uh, The first few chapters we did pretty quick. We did an introduction and then we did the first few chapters, but we also looked uh, at at the Gospel of Luke uh, a little bit more in depth there. And then we... Uh, talked through uh, the early ministry life of Christ and now we're at the Beatitudes and we're spending you know quite a few weeks looking at the Beatitudes and themselves just because there's a lot of content to unpack and often I find we can get lost in uh, all of these commands that Jesus seems to be giving to us so uh, if you have not listened to any of them yet I would encourage you to go back and revisit those episodes because I think they will help provide better context and hopefully just a better understanding or a different understanding uh, to the text than what you've been you know, previously taught to think. And I think that's a huge thing for you know, Christians today is to examine this text through the eyes of a different um, perspective, considering that I believe most of you who are listening are probably in the Reformed camps, You like the content of the show, and I'm greatly blessed by that. But I hope that me being Lutheran helps you to see Scripture in a different light. And those who are Lutheran who listen to the show, 
uh, I will continue to become more Lutheran and more confessional and, you know, as we, as we carry on in my career as being a Lutheran pastor. So, uh, those are things that are, you know, uh, ever working on. Uh, I don't think I'll, I, who knows what life will bring, but you know, the people like the Chad bird and, um, Brian Wolf Mueller, those guys are people I, uh, actively look towards for guidance and, you know, and just their overall approach to how they handle things and the compassion and grace that they have is tremendous. So those are things that I want to bring into the show and hopefully over the course of time, you know, bring into the teachings and things like that, that we deliver for you on Undying Light. So that's being that I'm just kind of, uh, filling the air, if you would, with some space. Um, I'm not going to get too much into the, you know, commercials and I use air quotes on that. Um, today, you guys hopefully by now should know that if you want to support the show, do so through Patreon, and it's patreon.com forward slash undying light. The link is in the show notes. If you want to buy a copy of logos, link is in the show notes, logos.com forward slash undying light. And if you have any fitness or anything like that, you want to chat with me about by all means, I'm all ears. I have just hit 92 days in a row in the gym on the treadmill. Um, and then I've been actively lifting throughout those 90 days as well. So, uh, significant changes in my body, my mood, my appetite has changed. Um, I have seen significant changes overall, and now I'm curious what my blood work will look like next month, uh, as I go and, uh, have my biannual month or it was a twice a year or whatever you want to call it blood work checked. Uh, cause I, tr- I check it about every six to eight months just to ensure that my panels are in, in good line. My like cholesterol and stuff like that is all in well line. So that being that, uh, you know, I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be an expert, but, uh, I certainly, uh, have been through quite a bit. I was at one point over 300 pounds, lost a whole bunch of weight, put some weight back on. And now I've since lost that again. And so I've been all over the, the spectrum. Uh, when my daughter was born, I was, actually looking at a picture when she was about two and I was standing behind her walking and you could see I was significantly heavier then than I am now. Uh, now that she's in preschool, I go to the gym, uh, after I drop her off at school and then I come down and do my work after I get done with the gym. So drop her off at seven 30, you know, and then get to the gym, et cetera, et cetera. But trying to find a place for everything. And that's always the challenge, especially when I'm wrapping up my master's program. I've got just a few things left to do. Uh, I've got some manuscript work to finish. Um, a couple projects that, uh, are not huge, but they're, they, they will take a couple of, of probably week or so per project. And there's two of those left. Uh, and then a couple papers left to write. So I'm like, there's the big light at the end of the tunnel. It's so close. Uh, and uh, my goal is to be all completed here sh- in the next probably month or two. And that way I'm set up for a spring graduation. I'll drive up to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, go through the graduation process. Uh, and then we may have an ordination service at my church on a Sunday sometime in the summer. So looking forward to all that. I'm very excited uh, for how kind of things have shaped up in the last few months. I've put a lot of work in my office uh, and I'm very blessed to have my wife give me that time. And uh, she has picked up a certain amount of load and taking care of the children while I've been locked away doing papers and watching videos and getting content 
done for school. So huge improvement. Uh, a lot of work has gone into probably the last six months in my education. I've probably done at least a quarter of the entire uh, seminary work in the last probably six months. So it's got quite a bit of work. Um, normally, I would probably say if you were to be on track with a regular graduation point, uh, I should finish early by about six months. So that is huge. So I, you know, I've, I've essentially doubled my workload this past fall just so I can ensure that I can graduate early. That's kind of a big thing to hang my hat on. And then, of course, if you know, if you've you know talked to me um, before, especially in the patron groups, I would like to write some books. Uh, I, I have some ideas surrounding some some books to help hopefully articulate or uh, maybe explain the Lutheran construct and the Lutheran theology in a little bit more of um, basic terms. I don't know if I'm going to go that route. I've got some ideas and uh, I'll probably do some, you know, internet polls and just kind of see what people think without, you know, while being vague, but not too direct because, you know, when I start to put these ideas down and start to gather um, issues inside of the church, I want to make sure that there's, you know, uh, a certain need for the content that I would write. That's the biggest question is, finding a need because there's there's hundreds and hundreds of theology books out there um and I don't want mine to just be another one on the shelf you know I want I want it to be impactful and so I want to survey kind of the whole scope and this includes you know the protestant groups and the catholic books and you know the lutheran books and see okay w- what's a common thread that I see a lot of and right now what I'm seeing a lot of is you know, false teaching in America, the the Western church crumbling, things like that. I'm seeing that from a social media perspective and, you know, from articles being printed and things like that. So that could be something to tackle um, while still returning back to the, to the uh, apostolic church and the early church fathers. Those are things that I've considered. Again, I'm weighing a lot of stuff out right now, but that'll come and my patrons will have access to all of those uh, writings, the manuscripts, and they will be able to help proofread and add insights and questions and stuff like that. So they will take a very active part in the writing of these books. So if you'd like to see it, uh, come join us. Uh, I do have some other ideas outside of Christianity that I'd like to write for as well. So a lot of stuff that I'm working on after I graduate, but until then, that's what I got. So 10 minutes of me babbling endlessly for no reason. Uh, Let's get into the content. We've got pretty hefty chunk of stuff to do today. Uh, We are going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we are going to uh, kind of walk through this opening construct uh, of what is going on. So last week we worked uh, verses 1 through 8. And we talked about... Um, giving in secret. We talked about praying in secret. We talked about uh, not to be like the hypocrites. We talked a little bit about the hidden God concept. Uh, so these are all things that we have um, have since you know worked through and have hopefully unpacked for you just a little bit better. Uh, so this week we're going to look at the Lord's prayer. And I think what we're going to do is just break this into two sessions. 
Uh, so we're going to look at verses 9 through 15. Um, and if we can maybe split this into two parts, we're also going to look at uh, the Lord's Prayer through the eyes of Luke as that is something to um, kind of compare and contrast, if you would, the um, prayer that Jesus gives us and how each Matthew and Luke uh, record it. And uh, it's always interesting because, you know, in my Bible study that patrons can obviously get in on, uh, when we do, uh, or we're doing the, the um, harmony of the Bible or the harmony of the Gospels. And so right now we are um, looking at this notion of comparing and contrasting, if you would, each of the Gospels and seeing where uh, they line up and where do they uh, have differences. Uh, we've seen some texts where Luke uh, expands much more in, 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 in the conversational aspect than we do in uh, any other, you know, gospel like Mark or even Matthew does. And so it's always interesting to read those and to kind of get a feel and see, okay, well, what is actually happening here? What is, you know, going on that um, we are to take from this? And can we truly uh, examine what is going on and, and hopefully provide a better picture, a more clear and cohesive picture than just um, trying to, you know, work through the content in and of itself. So let's look at Matthew and then we will dig into the other account found in Luke. So let's begin here with Matthew on the sixth chapter, beginning with the ninth verse. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then in verse 14, for if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So what I kind of want to do is we're going to use this episode and we're going to compare and contrast a little bit. Uh, on the two accounts of the Lord's Prayer, and we'll talk a little bit about it. And then in the next one, we might revisit part of the Lord's Prayer, and we'll see kind of where time leaves us today, and uh, look at the Book of Concord, more specifically the small catechism. Uh, we might examine the large, uh, depending on how we work through it, but a lot of that content was already covered in a previous series on the Lutheran theologies, we worked through the book of Concord, but it doesn't hurt to touch base on it again. It's a pretty important prayer and uh, there's a lot that we can unpack from it, but uh, let's see what Luke has to say. This is now in the 11th chapter of Luke, um, beginning here with the first verse, essentially uh, Jesus goes on actually in the second to, pr to say, when you pray, say this. Uh, and then it's only a couple verses. So it says, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not to temptation. And then he goes on and says, you know, to them, which of you has a friend who will go with him to midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, etc., etc." So that uh, 
very short and truncated in Luke, uh, while Matthew gives us a little bit more detail. But I think we should also pay attention to the concept that Matthew nor Luke uh, were sitting here with Jesus in this time period. We know Luke, for instance, didn't travel with Christ. Uh, he was a disciple of Paul, probably gathered everything he he had written about through Paul and probably Peter and some of the other apostles. Uh, but Luke provides a very interesting uh, concept to the gospel handling and how he really um, emphasizes the need for, for, for Christ and how we cannot possibly measure up to the demands of the law. And so Luke's gospel uh, is very heavily saturated with this concept of law gospel. Uh, so when we preached through Luke last year in our church, it was really fascinating and, and not that big of a challenge to look at a text in Luke and say, oh, well, here's the obvious law that's just pounding me down, but here's the gospel as well. And uh, you see that, you know, if you read through the other gospels, but Luke really emphasizes it. Uh, and so it's interesting to see kind of where he picks up some of that theology from. Uh, there is no, you know, discrepancy or anything like that that goes against what Luke has here in the 11th chapter versus what Matthew has. Again, and I explain this in the Harmony of the Gospel accounts, we can um, all have people or we can have four people standing on street corners all on a different corner. And then there's an accident in that four way. And what you're going to have is four different eyewitness stories. Uh, they're going to have all different perspectives. They might be very similar. You know, car A ran stop sign and hit car B and then, you know, or car B didn't see, you know, whatever it may be. They'll probably be very similar, but yet you'll notice some minor differences because one person may not be able to see, you know, the full accident from their perspective. And so they can only, wit you know, witness to what they did see. Others have a broader scale of what they saw and are able to articulate better. And that's kind of what we get with the Gospels. And, you know, with the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we have are very, very, very similar stories, just different conversational pieces or maybe some different wordings used. doesn't change the meaning of the text, and it doesn't mean that there's discrepancies. It just means that Luke is recording different things than what Matthew recorded because they see different, different ways to uh, reach the audience that they were trying to reach. And so Matthew... Uh, his gospel is kind of written more in a scribe manner that he's partaking as an eyewitness. Now, we don't know whether Matthew, the tax collector, uh, was present at the time of Jesus doing the Beatitudes. We know that he will be called later as an apostle. Um, and that is just something for us to kind of put in the back of our minds as we uh, continue working on through uh, this, these accounts and how they have a significant uh, impact. And so, you know, we can turn back to the fourth chapter in Matthew and we see Jesus calling his first disciples. Uh, he sees Simon, who will be called Peter and Andrew. Uh, and then they go on, they see James, uh, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother. And so now we have four disciples called, uh, beginning with the verse 18 in chapter four. So that is really the first time we see his disciples called. Matthew won't be called until later. But that doesn't mean that Matthew couldn't have been there. I mean, he certainly could have been present at the time of the Sermon on the Mount. 
and he could have written down what he saw, or he could have just picked it up from the conversation of the apostles as they uh, had all 12 traveled with Christ for a long while. So, uh, so we begin in verse nine, pray like this. Jesus gives his disciples a model uh, or general pattern for prayer, one that has become fixed within Christian worship. Uh, the version of Luke is obviously slightly different. And I should say this too. Uh, when you come to kind of a prayer like the Lord's Prayer, if you notice uh, at the very end of verse 13, when I said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, the prayer goes on for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. All men. That is an added piece by the church later time. That's why it's not recorded in scripture. It's still rightfully so. And, and I think it fits in this model of what the prayer is. Jesus is giving a pattern, a general construct, kind of a, a you know, an overlay of here's how you should pray. These are the things that you should do it. If you're going to do it, do it like this. And you can you, you pray with our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're exalting the name of God. Again, we'll get into all this breakdown. Uh, we pray for your kingdom to come, the return of Christ, and that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We And, and here's the interesting thing. Give us this day our daily bread, right? We ask Christ for our, our daily supplication, how we can survive. And that is through not only just bread, but our means of life. Uh, and forgive us our debts. Now, here's where we get that interesting notion. As we forgive our debtors or forgive our trespassers, depending on if you King James Version only, uh, when we get to that, that is the only time we are essentially offering something back to God. The rest of the prayer is, is asking God for stuff. And I think that's an interesting notion that the only thing that we as Jesus gives us, the only thing that we turn to God and say, this is what we will do. And that is that we will forgive those who trespassed against us. Again, that's the King James version here in Matthew. It's in the ESV. It's we, uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So different translations, uh, the older English, I actually prefer the King James version of the prayer. Uh, if you have a Lutheran uh, service book in uh, the the settings there will be two versions there'll be the modern version which is like the english standard or it'd be maybe a new revised depending on when your lutheran service book was written and then on the other column they have the original king james and so it's you know got that older english to it our, our father who art in heaven hallowed be uh, thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom of the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's the King James version of it. Uh, and, and again, they all work really well. I like that version. My church likes that version just because it kind of gives a little bit of that old English, uh, you know, sound to it. And it, and I think it works really well. I don't necessarily care to read the Bible in King James onlyness because uh, it, it, it gets a little mucky, murky, you know, uh, trying to get through some of these passages, especially in the old Testament, not to say it's not hard or impossible. I mean, it's been one of the best translated Bibles for centuries. Uh, but now that we have better manuscripts and we have older manuscripts and we have things that are included here in the ESV or the NASB, it makes the English a lot cleaner and it's more modernized that we can read it without having to 
you know, work through some of these old, like, well, what does this word mean type concepts? So whether you are a King James person or an ESV person, the prayer works the same. Debts and trespasses are the same. I like trespasses because it brings us more to a notion of we've committed sin against uh, God, against others. That's it's I'm not a big fan of that translation just because it makes it seem like, um, you know, you can pay off your debt, right? If you, if you put $10,000 on a credit card, you can pay it off. Uh, it can be forgiven, but you can pay it off with debts. It's such, it's, it's a lot lighter of a term, uh, than trespasses. Like when you trespass, you can't really take it back. You can't be like, Nope, oh, just kidding. Didn't mean to, you know, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to step on your land like that. Oh, you know, let me go about my day. No, you've committed a crime. You have committed cosmic treason. And I think that's why trespasses work better uh, in this translation. Again, you know, however you want to nitpick down, you know, the English, uh, it, it all comes out to the same. But I think in some cases, debts tend to be a little bit lighter of a word in this phrase. So we begin to pray like this. So this is our model of prayer. Uh, we can um, mold it and change it and use this kind of construct to create our own prayers and our own requests. Or we can just simply pray this prayer. And we would get, you know, exactly what God has in store for us because we, we will ask God to give us our daily bread. And as Luther will describe in a small catechism, this is everything that we need to survive. This is our house, our children, our spouse, our clothes, our food, you know, everything that we need to survive day to day. So this is a good prayer and a good model of a prayer. And for those who really have a struggle, like I know some people like, I just don't know what to pray about. Well, pray the Lord's prayer. You know, if you don't know what to pray about, pray the Lord's prayer, start there, pray this for six months every night, and then you will start to see how you can uh, change or add or, you know, draw in new requests to God. And you can, you know, really start to articulate your prayer life better. Doesn't mean it'll always happen, but you can certainly give this a, a six month try and just see how your prayer life changes. Again, prayer isn't to move God into doing something for us because he's already done so much for us. But this, but the prayer, and, and I've heard this used in the Calvinist circles, prayer is to change our hearts and our minds about God. And that's true. It, it, it is that. However, prayer with supplication and with thanksgiving and with fasting and all these things when offered to God are pleasing to God as we, you know, hand them over to Christ and Christ being our mediator to between us and God. When we hand these to Christ, as we will see later in the gospel of John, uh, whenever you ask uh, anything in my name, it will be given to you. So in our prayers, when we ask for our daily bread, we are certainly being provided it. So it is essentially asking God to do stuff for us. And, and we, we think, Oh man, Lord, I really want to win the lottery. That's what I can, you know, I, I would just do so much good with it. I would give to so many charities. I would help so many people. I'd get my family out of debt. I'd get, you know, my friends out of debt. Help me win the lottery. That's not what is being given to us here. In fact, what it is is, Lord, make sure that I have food on the table and make sure I have, 
you know, clothes on my back, make sure that I have running water, uh, indoor plumbing for, you know, everybody in the West, it's a no brainer, but people in the East don't have it, uh, or in third world countries. But, uh, it is the simple requests of the daily needs of our lives. Lord, help me to provide for my family. Help me to be a better steward of my time and my money to ensure that my family is well taken care of. And it's not asking God to make me a millionaire. It's not asking God to make me this most prosperous being. In fact, you know, as I said in the early part of the show, if I start writing books, I'm not looking to make, you know, you know, Stephen King style money. You know, I'm not looking for, uh, J.R. Tolkien type money or, um, what's his name, George Martin or whoever wrote uh, Game of Thrones or um, Roland who wrote Harry Potter series. You know, I'm not looking for that money. I'm I'm looking to see a need within the church and, and write about it and hope that I can clarify some people. And uh, my, my desire is not to go out and make a ton of money. If I, if I happen to work and publish a lot of books and, and, and make a decent amount, then great. Wonderful. Praise God. But that's not my goal. My goal is to just write and have fun and hopefully help and encourage other people. That's the goal. I think of any Christian author, it should never be to score those big uh, deals and, you know, make that chunk of money. And I think that's interesting because you see a lot of it in the academic circles where they write books and they do it because there is an academical need for it and they get some really nice contracts through big publishers and they're writing for an academical purpose. My goal isn't to write a book that's going to be used in the academia. My, my goal is to write books that will be used by the lay people, people who, you know, are shopping at Walmart and see, Oh, well, I've always wondered this. Maybe this will help me or provide some answers to me. Anywho's. That is how we pray this prayer, right? It, it is designed to draw in a realization that we are insufficient and incapable of bringing to God a righteous manner. It is showing us that we are, in fact, sinners, and it is showing us that there is only one way to salvation, and it is through God. And more specifically, it is through Christ alone. And this is something that helps us to realize how we can frame this prayer out in our daily life. And again, it's going to look different for every person who uh, comes on the scene and uh, prays a prayer. So uh, we begin with your uh, our Father in heaven, or our Father who art in heaven, however you want to translate it. Uh, this disciples the pray, uh, disciples pray as a community to their true Father. It's who else are you going to pray to? You can pray to Jesus, and that's the same thing, you know, within the triune Godhead, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all they're all equally God. And and I've even heard this question too. Uh, who do I pray to? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? Do I pray to God or do I pray to Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us to pray to God and then ask this in the name of Jesus. Because you are praying to God, and in that prayer, you are essentially handing this over to Christ, and then Christ takes that prayer and hands it to God. Interestingly enough, really, in this little construct, the Holy Spirit doesn't play an active role in moving the prayer to God. It is Christ alone. The Holy Spirit, though, is going to move you to pray. 
the Holy Spirit is going to encourage you in those times to pray. So that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. All three working together to hear and deliver your prayer. So when we pray, pray to God the Father in heaven. When we, uh, and you know, the acknowledgement of hallowed be your name, that is a simple construct of, you know, holy is your name, God, above all names. Your uh, Every knee will bow and every eye will recognize that you are, in fact, the God of gods and King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are the Alpha, the Omega, et cetera, et cetera. That is all of the wonderful things summed up in this little uh, this little phrase here, how holy is your name or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Uh, God's reign is near in Christ for all who believe his holy word. We pray for his final victory. As I mentioned earlier, that this is a framing of Christ come back to us and deliver us and provide the ultimate um, victory in and over sin, death, and the devil and um, eradicate sin, bring the new heavens and the new earth to us and allow us to live freely, sinlessly with you in all eternity. Augustine says this, he says, the kingdom of God, though it never departs from earth, is yet absent to those who are ignorant of it. So we pray this prayer, your kingdom come, uh, and we know that the kingdom of God is ever present within the church and within Christians and those communities, but for those who are ignorant, they don't see it. It's kind of like uh, they're colorblind to a world of, you know, beauty and enjoyment of different colors. Uh, your will be done already. Now our father breaks and hinders Satan's evil will. When Christ comes again, all enemies will be defeated. And this is essentially your will being done. It's kind of an interesting notion to, uh, to try and say, well, what is God's will? And we can, we can articulate and, and argue all this, all we want, but really God's will is to call people to repentance, call people to, uh, come back to faith in him. And so it is preaching of the gospel and it is allowing the Holy spirit to give faith uh, on earth as it is in heaven applies equally. The three, uh, initial petitions we pray, uh, we on earth pray that God would act on behalf of his name, his kingdom and his will. These three petitions will perfectly be fulfilled only on the last day. That is when Christ shatters the heavens open and uh, returns. Uh, the second set of the petitions, we ask God for what is important for us today. We ask for our daily bread, and this is you know the breakdown of that. Uh, we've talked about it. Uh, debts, again, this is a, a sin is a moral debt owed to God. I just am not a fan of debt, but you know we'll 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 deal with that later. Uh, he if he would not forgive us, then uh, we would have to pay the last penny. Um, interesting enough, if we turn back to chapter 5, verse 26, truly I say to you, never get out until you pay the last penny. So you are in debt. You've committed cosmic treason against God. And if God doesn't forgive you, then uh, you're never going to get out because you would have to pay every single ounce and that is an internal debt that you have now forged between you and God. So debts can work. Again, I'm just not a huge fan of it. Uh, our power to forgive others comes from having been forgiven. This is something I kind of stress again to in my Bible studies that we as Christians have the ability to see the world as it is, a world filled with sin and despair and 
you know, discrepancies and all these things. And we have the ability to forgive others while others may, may be harboring or hanging on to that anger and, and malice towards us. So we, we can forgive others because we have been forgiven by Christ. Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. These are separate petitions, but they're joined into one sentence. We realize that God could allow the devil to tempt us just as Jesus was led into temptation by the spirit, just as uh, Job was being taunted essentially by the devil. We see that God can and often does allow the devil to tempt us, but we pray uh, that God our Father will guard and keep us from the evil one. And here's a note from Tertullian. He says, Jesus, when tempted by the devil, demonstrated who it is that presides over and is the originator of temptation. A doxology of the Lord's Prayer may have also been added as early as the first century in the didactic and Greek Bible manuscripts as early as the fifth century. These Words were likely a liturgical response when the prayer was used in worship. Uh, and then the last petition here, if you forgive and not forgive, Jesus added these words to reinforce the fifth petition, which is a key to the prayer and to dis, uh, discipleship. He emphasizes the importance of mutual forgiveness in the community of believers. He does not mean that forgiveness is somehow earned. On forgiveness, Jesus has extensive teachings, as we will get to in chapter 18. So, uh, that's going to wrap up our uh, quick little spin on the Lord's Prayer from the concept of Matthew. We're going to look at Luke next week and the Book of Concord, and we're just going to go through the small catechism and kind of break down those petitions. Uh, but we do want to talk just a little bit more about Luke in particular, just because it's an interesting difference of language. So that being that, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. It is Friday, so make sure that you're in church on, on Sunday and hopefully you are partaking in divine service, receiving the sacraments if possible, or if your church does that, uh, we will be not until probably first week of February as just the way our church has always done it. I would love to do it every other week, but you know that's another discussion later on. So, anywho, get into church. Don't be lazy. And I hope you guys have a great week. God bless. We'll see you all.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.